Hello and welcome to the Anima Cafe podcast, a chance to hear the recording of our latest cafe, sharpening your skills around justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. The uh, formal title for this cafe is EDI is not dead, which is not news to most people on this call. Uh, But we want to have a conversation about the current moment and um, collectively some of the things that we think are important to keep in mind and uh, and have a collective conversation because we're certainly it's certainly a very interesting time to be in. Uh, I want to just start by acknowledging the traditional territory where Anima Leadership's home base is here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, acknowledging the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabeg, and in particular, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. And we honour the First Nations people and their ancestors as the stewards of this land that we feel so privileged to be living and working on. Ah, welcome, 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 people that are joining. It's always great to get a sense of where folks are coming from. So if you have a sec, just pop into chat where you're joining us from today. While you're doing that, just a quick review of um, logistics. Uh, we um, uh, Please have your um, your sound off because otherwise it, it competes. Um, it's lovely to see voices. So if you have access to having video on, um, uh, Part of the reason we host these cafes is that it's a little bit of a heart infusion, an energy infusion um, to just, especially for many of us, it's difficult, can be difficult work. Some of us work in isolation. So, um, you know, at least for me, I leave energized and part of seeing faces as part of that. So if you have access, obviously many of us don't or can't, and and that's fine as well. Um, uh, You're welcome to share reactions as we go through there available to you at the bottom of your thing under reactions. Um, You can also signify there'll be moments where you might want to speak. You can raise your hand that way, or you can just lift it physically and we can, we can see that. Um, Please use a chat function. We do not save the chat. So whatever you share is kept to the confines of this session. We do record the session itself because we um, share it as a podcast episode but it's not, you know, if somebody speaks, obviously it's not identifiable unless you share your, your right. full name. Um, and we'll have some time. We're gonna go through the pres- sort of our thoughts presentation and then we'll have time for Q and A at the end. So welcome again, let's jump in. I'm gonna pass it over to you, Shaquille. Hey everybody, my name is Shaquille. I am the other co-founder of Animal Leadership. My pronouns are he and him. Delighted you could join us today. The theme uh, is really uh, around EDI and uh, uh, and the question that's been floating around is, is EDI dead? And we're suggesting it's not. And we'll talk about that today. But also, how do we, how do we connect and build community during another turbulent uh, uh, time that we are in? It seems like we've just been going from one to another. Um, from COVID to post-COVID. So I just wanna start by just painting a little bit of the context within which our session is taking place. And um, the context uh, involves many things and things uh, well beyond what 
what I will be sharing. But I mean, a big part, uh, a big pivot point that happened was uh, the U.S. Supreme Court striking down both affirmative action as well as abortion rights uh, the, earlier this year. And um, that's been also in the context of a looming recession where the cost of living is skyrocketing, interest rates are spiking, uh, and that's putting lots of pressure on people. This is the culmination of 40 years of neoliberal um, economic policies, which basically have to do with just let the market do its own thing, um, cut uh, public spending, increase privatization, reduce government regulations. And all of these elements are playing out together to a point where even though the GDP in places like Canada and the US has grown four to six times from the 80s to now, that is not what we are experiencing as individuals. And fundamentally, as the cliche goes, the rich have gotten richer. There are more millionaires and billionaires than before. The middle class has gotten really compressed and um, working class and poor peoples have been extra compressed. So that's the context within which these conversations about EDI uh, are happening. Of course, there's uh, Trumpism and rising authoritarianism, which is uh, which is combined with anti-woke, uh, anti-EDI legislation, book bans, and so on. Um, uh, there has been great attacks on, uh, especially on the LGBTQ2S plus communities with a specific targeting around uh, trans youth. And we're seeing this happening uh, in, in Canada and the US and beyond. Uh, in this context, organizations are also cutting back EDI. That includes positions as well as uh, 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 funding in terms of resources and all these different things. And um, all of this is ex exacerbated by social media divisions and so on. Now, um, what I wanna put into this context is an email we recently received. And in, in this email, um, what, we, what we got was uh, someone saying, hey, look, I love the work you folks are doing and um, but I just need to know that I got to step back from EDI. I, I just have to because I feel like my job is under threat, right? And so that's one little micro story in a context of many other stories that are happening. And um, and so we just want to start, and there's much more we could add to the context. If you want to uh, put in other context pieces, feel free to add, because uh, we just know this is getting the context started, uh, this conversation started. Now, Anahit, I'm going to pass back over, over to you. Thanks. And, you know, when you share that story, Shaquille, I imagine, you know, one of the because there's what happens on the surface of the water. And then there's, of course, what motivates our, our decisions and behaviors in different ways. And I think about somebody sending that email and the emotion behind it, um, anxiety, perhaps. And I want to, you know, open it to, to ask you folks, what are things that you notice coming up for you in these times? Um, emotions that come up when issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion are surfaced, or you're dealing with them or thinking about them, um, that you notice in your colleagues or others you work with, that you notice in the field, like in the newspaper articles, and like what do you notice is driving some of this, um, what's coming forward in this time that Shaquille just named? What are some of the emotions that you would identify? Um, so I'm going to add this. Um, yeah, I just put it into chat on here. Oh, great. Starting in chat. Yeah. 
No, thanks. Um, despair, frustration, mm -hmm. a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep adding, folks. There's no right or wrong answers here. We just want to bring you into this conversation. What are you noticing? What's happening inside you? What's happening inside others? What are you yeah. sensing? On edge. Um, sense of urgency. So decisions being made with a lot, without a lot of thought or consultation. A gut punch. That's a good term. Like we thought we were getting um, getting so much forward, um, further forward after George Floyd's murder. And this just feels like in some ways a pendulum swing or I should say in many ways, a pendulum swing right to the other extreme. Fatigue, uh -huh. especially from white folks who started EDI work post-George uh, Floyd. Yeah, for those that are newer perhaps, or for many of us, but one part of that group being folks that are newer. Anxiety, exhaustion, yeah. Fear for the future of the youth and my own child. Isolation. Revolutionary love, says Parker. Feelings of unfairness and anger. Yeah, Shaquille, feel free to jump in and, and pull some out here. Heartbreak. Um, feeling like we're never going to make a difference. Apprehension. Job insecurity is the story you just shared. Mm hmm So, Shaquille, what are... What are um, what are some of the positives that you think um, are part of this moment as well? I, you know, it seems like a lot of what's coming out and what we're naming is, you know, harder emotions. Yeah. But it's also uh, the ability to see what perhaps is an opportunity that might be helpful too. Right. So part of, part of us just starting with the emotions is because if you don't know, emotions drive behavior. Neuroscientists would say our next thought is based on our last feeling, whether we're aware of that feeling or not. So what we're trying to do is bring the emotions. That's the bigger thing that's at play. Um, uh, we are not cognitive. We are not rational creatures. We are we are emotional creatures first. That's humans are. We're so we're social creatures because we're mammals. Now we want to put that into context because that's. The emotions are huge right now. And we're going to talk today about how we manage our emotions. And we're going to talk today about what we can do with some of our emotions. Now, before I do that, though, I also don't want to paint the picture just as, as despair. So as Anahid was saying, there are also positives. Okay. And um, the first positive that I want to talk about is that the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the changes that came and the commitments that came, like we have to see that as an inflection point. That inflection point has changed the conversation. And in fact, some of what we're experiencing today is a backlash to that moment. Now, um, Oops, sorry, did you, are you sharing? No, no I'm, I, I didn't wanna share right now, I'm okay. I'll, I'll share it in a moment. Um, what I wanna talk about is that that moment we still can't let go of and why is because things changed people came on board fields came on board that were not part of this conversation before the mindfulness community um uh jumped on board the psychology community the american psychological association um uh uh, uh shared a absolutely incredible um 
uh, mea culpa? Like, what have we done that that has contributed to uh, racial disparities and racism over time? So did certain media outlets. I mean, places like the L.A. Times, uh, The Guardian um, in the U.K., uh, 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 newspapers in Philly. Um, what they basically did was did a self-reflection over the last hundred years and said, look. We've contributed to racism because of our coverage. So what I want to say is that there are some there are some big uh, context pieces that that are that that the conversation still has changed. And for for many of us and for many organizations, this particular moment won't take that away. So that's that's really important. Equally, um, what I want to share is that. Uh, just this spring, um, we know that. Uh, from Pew Research that came out in May that for recruitment retention of employees, EDI forward organizations, uh, employees still want that. So it's really important to recruitment and retention. And this this uh, include a majority of employees think that EDI, DEI, if you're in the in the U.S., uh, Anima, and many Canadian organizations go with EDI because we like to lead with equity. So um, that this is really important and this is important for people and, and, and its value. Um, also, uh, the investor case for DEI is really strong. That came out in uh, Fortune magazine um, uh, just this August that says organizations and investors see this, that organizations that are uh, investing in DEI, they're actually outperforming their peers. So from the top and the bottom, um, uh, we know that it's important. So that means that even though we're struggling in this particular moment, we want to also contextualize it with what else is happening. And as as I said, um, the inflection point uh, from the George Floyd murder and the protests, like that doesn't that doesn't change. Now we've certainly lost certain organizations that weren't committed in the first place. We know that. That's okay because those of us that have been in the field long before this was actually a field called EDI. Um, we know that things keep changing, that things are always hard. So we're just keeping this momentum going. Now, um, what I also wanna do is we're gonna talk today about strategies. We're gonna talk about three uh, strategy areas that we think are gonna be supportive, that we can help each other with uh, and may support you with. The first is self, the second is interpersonal, and the third is organizational. So from a self perspective, a big part of this moment, why we name those emotions is because this is a moment where inner work is really critical. Inner work is the foundation of not just EDI work, but we believe just being human in general. Now, EDI, um, our inner work skills is really, uh, as we're doing the work out there in the world, we gotta do the work in here. And so self-awareness, self-regulation, the ability to manage ourselves, so important. Empathy, the ability to, to feel with other people, even if we can't know their full experience, our relationship building skills and conflict competence, um, meaning making. And I just did a, a, a section on meaning making um, in some of the videos that I've been sharing across social media. This is really important. How do we make sense of this difficult time period? And these are skills that we can build. And all of these combine together to be able to discern because discernment helps us make decisions. And discernment is, is absolutely key. Now, there are many other strategies, but the inner work is really things that, 
that that um, we want to draw some attention to. Now, um, a lot of these are outlined in my book, Deep Diversity. And so if you want a, a greater breakdown, you can go there. Now, why this is important is because our inner skills help us discern. Our inner skills allow us to bring consciousness and conscious awareness to the moment. And this is especially important because a lot of EDI work is centered around the conscious use of power. How do we use power consciously and wisely? So what I want to talk about, if my computer wasn't sticking, hello, um, is um, we're going to draw on the work of Julie Diamond, who does brilliant work around power. And Power, a User's Guide is a great book if you haven't checked it out. But but Julie and I, we've been talking um, from her book. We've we have uh, Julie created this this two by two grid that's really important, which is high positional power, low positional power on the top and bottom, and on the sides, the idea of feeling of power. This is the empowerment piece. How how much do I actually feel that I can uh, that I have some power? How power do I actually come across? And this is an emotion. This is actually a feeling. And on one end is high and the other end is low. So for people who both feel empowered and have high positional power, there, there's a place that we can go to that's really helpful. And that is uh, what we describe as moral authorities, people who can be em empowering and effective. Okay. Um, on the other end, in this other platform and where you might have high positional power, but you don't really feel it that well, well, that's where people get into uh, tyrannical behavior. People actually weak and they're ineffective and they're bullying. Okay. That's where it falls down in terms of if you got high power, but low feeling and low connection to it. The third quadrant, this is where many of us live, where we might not have really high positional power, but we feel empowered. These are the social activists. These are the change makers. Um, this is where... Uh, we know how to influence, make change, uh, manage upward successfully. But if we don't have high power, uh, high positional power, and we also don't feel it very well, well, then um, we can get bureaucratic, bossy, insecure, and self-righteous. Now, what I want you to think about is that these four quadrants, these are things we rotate through. We don't live in one. Like, for example, in the work that I do, I like to believe that I live in the top right quadrant a lot speak as a moral authority around this work, <laughs> except when I'm dealing with my children. And then, then I live in the confusing, tyrannical, weak, bullying category. And for parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. So what I want to say is that when we bring conscious awareness, it's like noticing what I drop from one quadrant to another quadrant. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's self-awareness work. Not the image I have of myself, but what actually happens in real time. So very important. Okay, so now um, I'm going to just leave that to say this is why inner work skills are important. Okay, and Ani, I'm going to hand it back over to you. So um, interpersonal skills are the next area for us to, to be keeping in mind. And I want to share something that happened um, uh, a while ago. And that was, um, I had communicated something to somebody um, through uh, email that wasn't something in the email wasn't worded quite the right way. It was, it was clumsy. 
this is somebody, an acquaintance. Um, I don't know, I know, but I don't know super well, but we do um, similar work. And um, the way I had phrased part of the email upset this person. And I um, got the message back and I decided I'm going to take a walk around the block because I need to calm myself down. In the meantime, this person called, called and got more upset because I hadn't answered and made other assumptions about my inavailability and how, um, you know, it just fed the fire. I came back from my walk. I called the person back and um, was part of a 50-minute conversation of this person getting just um, occupying all the conversational space, um, frequently raising their voice to the point of yelling. And I found myself unable to or kind of um, get off the phone such that I was late for a meeting because I, I, in that moment, chose to hold space because I wanted to kind of get us to a cool enough spot that we could get off the phone. I share this story because it points to what can frequently happen for a lot of us. The reality is anxiety, heightened emotion lives in our nervous system and is looking constantly for a place to land. Sometimes where our anxiety lands can be productive. We um, decide that we're going to channel our energy and write a, 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 an opinion piece for the paper. We decide to organize um, a gathering of folks and um, host a community um, uh, educational event. Um, we pull the family out and join um, a protest. We organize a, an employee resource group in our organization. However, for most of us, the tendency is for the anxiety to land in not so helpful ways, like in this relationship where unfortunately a bridge was burnt between two people that could work a lot more effectively if our forces were, were allied or joined. Um, so we can lash out at um, loved ones, as Shaquille shared, um, close relationships, colleagues, um, potential colleagues and allies. Um, uh, online is a is a ripe environment for for lashing out. So on the interpersonal level, when times are polarized, the number one thing is we have to kind of, and this ties back with inner skills of developing awareness of realizing what is coming up for me so that I can make choices about where that goes, that it is not coming out in ways that inflame or even burn bridges in the relationships around me. And we see so much of that happening now where people are just lashing out in the relationships where they feel more comfortable, um, including in workspaces. And it is resulting in more um, making it harder to advance the work. Finding our allies and folks that we can stand alongside becomes even more important because we're also um, a little bit more exposed in doing this work than we were perhaps a year ago. With EDI being, with equity inclusion work being a little bit more under the microscope, being questioned, it is helpful to have people around us that we can rely on and support. And that might look like, again, formalized um, ally um, organizing employee resource groups, affinity groups within your organization, and maybe more informally where um, you invite some folks um, out to a monthly coffee or, 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 or lunch, but to consciously find and build those places if they don't exist for you. 
I recently created what I call um, Brown Babes Brunch, uh, some women of color in my community, because of course I work, um, uh, I'm self-employed and that has been a necessary um, small community of just being able to shorthand particular experiences and get and feel supported in what can often be isolating work. And especially for those of us that occupy leadership roles in the work, there's more of a tendency to feel isolated when we're leading equity, <laughs> we're leading people in our teams, um, we're leading work that tends to often require a lot of um, framing and uh, explaining. So find find the people that and the places you can you can be supported. Picking our battles becomes even more important, um, and being strategic. Uh, some of you may know I'm a writer. I've written two books, literary nonfiction. I recently was at a, a, a writer's festival. The tendency is, and this was true of this one as well, that they tend to be very, um, the, the boards are mostly run, um, white leadership and the, the community is, is the same. And I made a decision this year to join um, the National Council of the Writers Union because I realized it's more strategic and helpful to change the landscape rather than to be attempting to give feedback to individual festival organizers or publishers or agents to, to put my energy in a place where I can think where I think I can have more systemic impact. So for all of us, um, we don't need to be we don't need to have every conversation in every moment. What are the who are the people? What are the teams? What are the systems where you want to have impact? that is not going to burn you out um, within a few months time. And there may be others. So if you have other thoughts um, of what we can do on that interpersonal community level, please put them into chat. We're gonna pick it up at, um, toward the end. Um, I'm just gonna move to the organizational level. We, um, we had a, uh, I've been in conversation with a client over the last number of months and sent a proposal a couple months ago for a large year long um, change, organizational change process that would that we would be engaging with them on. And just recently heard back that they're facing budget cuts and will not be able to move forward. So we're also in this time, and I think this is typical of many organizations where the time, the, the resources, whether it be time, money, staff, energy or otherwise are reduced um, to be able to put behind equity and inclusion efforts. So what are things that we can um, be doing on the organizational level? Um, more important than ever that we support, and if we're on the leadership, the executive leadership team or even, even middle management, that we invest time to develop literacy at the leadership level for what equity means and what it means to support um, uh, a change process to create a more inclusive and effective organization. We talk about equi equity as a literacy project. And the reason we use literacy very particularly is to capture the I idea that similar to learning a new language, um, learning equity is not a one-off shot. It's not a three-hour process. It's not even about um, taking a couple courses here and there or reading a particular book. That it's um, 
a process that takes place over time. And we slowly start to identify that that particular squiggle that I can identify in the beginning actually looks like the letter A. And then when I put A into um, alongside other squiggles, I can start to read it as particular words and words strung together in a particular order um, reflect back a sentence and that we can help our leadership teams go through a learning process without shame and blame. Um, and that it, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 360 hours. So where is your leadership team within your own organization um, at? And what would, what does it look like to strategically take them to the next level of literacy? The second um, thing to, to be keeping in mind on the organizational level is that any organization to be able to advance inclusion needs to know where their, their starting point is or what their set point is. So data becomes really important. We're not guessing who's in the organization. We're not guessing what their experiences are assuming. We're basing our, our um, next steps on the data um, available to us. There are many um, surveys. You can do an internal organizational survey. At Anima, we've just launched our audit tools, including our um, organizational audit that is um, available to go to um, people across the organization. And maybe somebody can put the link to that into chat. Um, but having a data point to inform, and this is the, the next point, um, the strategy around equity. No change happens without a roadmap. The strategy is the roadmap. And um, the ideal is not that equity is siloed into its own corner of the strategic plan, but rather shows up across every part of the strategic, strategic plan, from governance to um, HR, to operational planning, to programming, that it's woven in through. And if your organization doesn't have a strategic plan, what does it look like to create one within your own department or team? And if we don't have time to create a plan, then even just coming up with a couple of strategic priorities. You know, here's what we're going to focus on. Um, for example, in HR, it might just even be something as simple like we're going to apply bias filters to our HR um, uh, policies around recruitment and retention. There's best practices around that. The last um, part of um, organizational strategy is that in times where there's a lot of polarization, it's harder to communicate openly, but it becomes more important because the tendency to assume and misunderstand is a lot higher. And so err on the side of over-communicating, even when you think people will are on the same page or have the same mindset as you, doesn't, it's just always easier to um, uh keep the communications line, uh, communication lines open. Hey, this is what's happened in the last week. Or I just want to remind folks that we're doing this, um, uh, hosting this event for X, Y, and Z reasons. Anyone have any questions or thoughts around this? That we're just looping, continuing to keep the um, communication loops um, open. And, um, and building, the more people can see what the purpose of particular things are, and feel like they're being invited in, the more trust we're also building around this work rather. And I'll just finish with saying this, um, you know, really inclusion should be an equity work should be the party that everyone wants to join, that we're modeling through our efforts. Uh, yes, this work can be challenging at times, but if we can hold the space, those of us that are leaders that have been doing this work in open, relaxed, and joyful ways, 
then it becomes an invitation rather than it becoming the prison cell that people are afraid that they're going to be locked into. And back to the story that Shaquille shared at the beginning of that person emailing to say, I'm out of equity work. I feel like I'm afraid of losing my job. Um, yes, that speaks to on one level, a lack of you know, giving up individual responsibility, but it also speaks to um, those of us that are in leadership, perhaps not shepherding for the, the work in ways that are invitational. So that's also part of the organizational piece is how do we do this work, the process of doing it in a way that's invitational rather than, rather than um, policing. So I'll stop there and pass it back to you, Shaquille. Well, we're um, we're going to move into the conversation part uh, uh, now. Uh, in just a moment, I, I want to just uh, uh, close our presentation part by just saying, look, EDI work, racial justice and equity work, decolonization work, whatever title that you are working with, whatever frameworks you are using, they've been developed because there are gaps. The gaps, as long as there are gaps, there's going to be work that has to be done using decolonization frames, using racial justice frames, using equity, diversity, inclusion frames. They're, all of these are part of that work. So I just want to say like EDI is not dead. For those of us working in this field, I've been involved for like 30 years. I mean, we've been doing this work when there was no field. Uh, when there was no direct area of study that you could, you know, follow through and get a degree in. So this work has always been precarious because whenever you're trying to make change, it's precarious. But the work doesn't stop. We just are going through another ebb and it's challenging. I want to be clear, but the work isn't going to stop. The work isn't going to stop because the gaps exist, because people are getting hurt, people are being underserved, people are being mistreated in sectors across society, inside workplaces, outside workplaces. So as long as that continues, we're gonna do the work. It's just, it's not gonna be with the big flush of resources and concern that came uh, that we experienced a few years ago. So um, today is just really an opportunity for us to get together. It's an opportunity to say, yep, it's challenging. And yes, the work will continue. We've just tried to offer some strategies for you to start thinking about, to add to your toolkit. And there's so much wisdom in the room, so many great comments that are coming, that are already in the chat. You folks have been following along. Um, so we we wanna um, now pause and and just uh, bring you into the, into the, into the conversation. And um, uh, I always have two questions. The first one always starts with, um, what do you found helpful so far? What's been useful? Um, what's uh, supported you in some way or what's brought your attention to something that perhaps you weren't bringing enough attention to for yourself just because of all the stuff that's been happening? Whether you do this work professionally um, because you do EDI or because you're interested, you're a leader that's trying to get a handle on things, especially uh, again in this really turbulent time frame. So what's helpful from you? And, uh, and the second part is always, um, what are questions and comments? So, so um, take a moment to write something into chat and, um, and then we'll 
we'd love to bring some voices into the space and then we'll also start going through the chat itself. And just so you know, um, Ani and I, and generally at Anima, what we try to do is we're not deeply into the chat until the end because a chat is an unconscious process that's running. And, and so we try to keep our attention on you and in the conversation and the presentation. So we're gonna jump into the chat now. Uh, we haven't been able to scan it all. I've just been like, just looking at it very briefly as Ani was talking and or vice versa, but now it's open. So first of all, I'd like to hear from you. What's What's been helpful? Um, what's useful? Um, uh, and, um, and what are questions and comments? So the floor is open. And we'd also love to hear some voices, uh, people willing to, sh to speak up as well. Mm. Um, Afsana, am I saying that, uh, pronouncing your name correctly? Afsana? Yeah, yeah you Afsana. are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I actually just want to say your very last comment was really helpful because the um, title of this workshop is, is EDI Dead. Um, I came because I wanted to know if it is, because I do a lot of the EDI work. And so I'm really glad you say that it's not dead, because if it were dead, it'd mean a lot of us on this call would be dead and our needs would be dead. And they're certainly not there. Um, and I feel as though, yes, maybe a lot of employers, maybe a lot of people have had budget cutbacks, but the need to represent people like myself within a company will always be there and it's only going to be on the increase. So um, I'm really glad to be here and um, have some other people kind of chime in and um, put some ideas together on how we can constantly keep these elements of ourselves and these important conversations, just keep keep them moving and progressing through. Thanks so much, Afsana, appreciate that. Um, I see Farheen Beg has written, feeling a sense of community with everyone here, remembering how essential it is to connect with others in similar positions and support each other. Um, oh, thanks, Darcy. <laughs> Congrats to Anahid on her, her role. That's great. Um, the organizational approaches, some folks have found help, helpful. Uh, needing optimism, says Ann, Ann Curry, uh, Ann Curry Stevens, um, that the work continues. This is in a lull. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the reason we need each other because in certain moments, I'm feeling really despairing. I'm feeling really upset and really angry. And I need Anahid or another peer to tell me, Hey, I remember keeping perspective. And that's where the emotions, why we touch the emotions at the beginning, because despair is an emotion. It doesn't mean we shouldn't feel it. All emotions are helpful. Just what are we living in? And are emotions having us or are we having the emotions? And that's where the consciousness and the inner work come in. Uh, go ahead, Sandra. Oh, I just wanted to say hello. Thank you, everyone. It's so wonderful to be in community with all of you. Um, I'm located, um, I actually work in Boston for a large healthcare system, but I actually live in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm fortunate to be reminded about some of these organiz organizational strategies that are in place. Um, I think sometimes, particularly in healthcare, that's very hierarchical and problem focus, you know, really great problems solvers. So that's what we always see are just the problems and not the 
opportunities. And we've been trying to do some of that. And particularly in light of the recent Supreme Court rulings on affirmative action, that felt like a gut punch um, and a deep worry around what will be next. So there's a lot of you know borrowing worry uh, while also trying to be strategic. And one of the things that we did was just try to hold what we call a diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility grand rounds monthly series. And we brought in someone from the NAACP Legal Defense Fund who talked about the history of, of, of affirmative action, what the ruling meant and didn't meant, and really gave this empowering, encouraging speech around this is not the time to be small. This is the time to really hold the line and use all the strategies, use all the data to say, here's where we've identified an inequity. Here are interventions and here's the data on how we're doing that. And I needed to hear that. I really needed to hear that because I think even just amongst ourselves as DEI professionals, um, I feel like most of the, <laughs> the sadness is coming from that community where the rest of our you know organization is like, okay, we're, we're kind of still going along. So it's about really, I guess the long and the long way to get to is uh, really finding other places and other people to um, bring that joy and encouragement and positivity, you know, because I, I think it does really make a difference. And like you said, it helps in the emotional state. So thank you for letting me share for so long. Thanks so much. That's really helpful, Sandra. What you also um, make me think of is the anti-affirmative action forces started organizing right after the Civil Rights Act was passed in the US. It took them about 70 years to get here. It took about 50 years of conservative organizing to defeat Roe versus Wade, something people thought wasn't gonna happen, okay? So I'm like, well, it took them many decades. So let's pick ourselves up and strategize for the next round of decades, because this is, this is how it works. This is how history works is that we go through cycles. We've been the beneficiaries of all that work that came before us. And maybe we took some of that for granted. And so I think some of this is like, right, okay, well, look, nothing's permanent. So here we are again, you know, in, in places like the US and in many states, it's like, wow, we're back to, you know, the seventies and like fighting for women's rights to have choices over their bodies. Right. And, and so we're there. So what this for me is like, don't, nothing is permanent. We're back. You know, it's like impermanence, Buddhism. It's that kind of thing. It's like, right. So now where are we? So people worked really hard to get us here. And now we're in another down cycle. Now we got to work to get ourselves back up. So we're a little bit below where we thought we were three years ago. We're like, okay, we're now we're only moving up. It's like, no, it can also move down. So here we are, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. So just, we just keep moving forward and right. What now the other parts important is what worked about our message? What didn't work about our message? What's been working about our strategy? What didn't work in our strategy? So at this point, take a breath and let's also reflect. And that's stuff that we'll be talking about later this fall. Some of the things I've been talking about some social media, but we do need to actually also reflect and take this moment, the setback to build back better 
DEI work, build back better work around decolonization. How do we get more people onto the side of justice when democracy itself is being threatened? So all of this requires us to, again, inner work is gonna be important. Community building is gonna be important. Connecting with each other. So, you know, in, in, in the most challenging, gray, drizzly, ugly times, we build community, right? So really important. Um, v. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, what you said is, is exactly what I was thinking. I mean, we've seen it. Um, when when words that have had power um, are then used against people like feminism, right? Feminism became uh, an evil buzzword, right? You're not a feminist, are you? You're not, you know, and it's right. like um, you're not and and used by the other side. We'll call them. So I hate the binary. I hate that that idea. Right. But um, and I feel like as a as a, a movement gains power the power in language is scary so then the best way to sort of deflate that is to is to make the that wording those words less powerful um in a in a you know i'm rubber you are glue um <laughs> you know you can throw stones or whatever so while the other side quotes is using equity as a, a term of derision, right? I say equity, you hear snowflake. Um, it's, it's about, it's not taking away the power of the movement, but man, they're trying, right? So it's, I feel like as we in, in my workplace have been told, you know, maybe move away from equity. I'm choosing to hear that as, Use away from using the word equity, but we still need you to do the work. But because the work that I'm doing is in um, in a government place and a government place that have the people in power um, are looking to a base that might hear snowflake when I say equity, it's they're wanting to maintain their power. So I like to believe that these leaders, I'm, I'm doing a lot of air quotes, these leaders want this equity work done because it's better for everyone. They also are concerned about being reelected and want to be seen to be moving away from this liberal snowflake agenda, right? So, yeah. So I like to hear, let's move away from equity, diversity, and inclusion as meaning, let's find some different words. Let's, as you say, fill the, you know, there are gaps. We fill the gaps. Let's raise the 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 people who need it the most. Let's you know. Let's work for the most marginalized and give them the services where they need it. Raising them raises everyone. But I'm just not going to use the word equity to describe my work at the moment. And as much as that is so painful and so frustrating, and like I I want to name things. I want to call it out. I want to say anti-black racism. I want to say all of these things because it's important to name it being strategic is also part of keeping the work going so that's that that's my two cents today and thank, thank you. you for this this conversation is is great and it is really um really helps to bolster a group um while we're all going through this right and try and find strategies to give ourselves strength and give ourselves the energy 
when it looks cloudy and dark. So thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, um, to my colleague, Alex, I'm just putting you on deck that in five minutes, we're going to take two final comments uh, and then I'm going to pass it over to you to, to do our wrap up and promo stuff. Um, Errol, I see your hand and the last hand after that is Michelle. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Errol Cyrus. Um, I'm not camera ready today, so I'm not turning on my camera, but I just wanted to just thank you for having this conversation because I think it's so important when we hear everything that's happening in the um, around us, you know, and to pull us together and say, you know, there's hope. And certainly I appreciate the the um the strategies and suggestion made from that individual perspective right up to um say corporate or organizational level. What I wanted to, to say and maybe just to pick up on our last speakers, um, you know, what was said is that whole thing of language. And some of you may or may not notice that a number of documents are coming out now and it will talk about racialized people, black, brown, but it will not say white people. It says non-white. So, you know, we, we, these are things that we need to, to, to look at and see how the language is constantly changing and what is being done to kind of, um, <laughs> um, what's the word, hijack the work we're doing and the movement. The other thing I wanted to quickly share, I think we're talking about some solutions and again with language to moving forward and what can be done. I think the continued education of Blacks and racialized people in terms of our own internalized racism and, and stuff like that. And also, um, I think white people need to step up and move away from allies and accomplice and be um, disruptors. I totally get it. And I understand that backlash and reprisal is real, but if we continue to kind of mosey along and use these nice little words and not back it up with action, then nothing is going to happen. Not that I'm saying that um, work is not being done by everybody and probably everybody on, you know, whether, whatever your identity is um, in terms of the, the work that is being done. But I would love to see more of that and that there is an intentionality around um, disrupting um, racism, discrimination, prejudice, all of that. Mm -hmm. And finally, I dropped something in the, <laughs> in the chat about employment for a couple of Black students who are finding it hard to get part-time job. Um, some of you may or may not be aware that our international stu students are under the gun to, to be able to pay their fees and to live. And um, they are facing some discrimination out there in terms of finding employment. And if anybody has any suggestions, an employment agency or an organization that um, you know, is willing to open the door to assist these youngsters, I'd I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Errol. Maybe you could just put your email into the chat. And then that way, if anyone's got any leads, they can reach out to you directly. Will do. Thank you so much for your comments. Last last but not least, Michelle. Hi, thank you. It's nice to be here with all of you. Um, 
I would just want to say that from my perspective, um, hope is for me what we've been brought through. And as a black woman and a descendant of slavery, I am still here and I am thriving. So no, I'm not hopeless. And joy is quite independent of circumstances. And I'm not sure that EDI has ever been able to meet the sort of George Floyd awakening moment. But what I do believe happened is it gave space to have the kinds of conversations and rumbles with people who don't think like us. And that has been sustained. And I have been taught that we're supposed to try and hold the gains of the past while we push forward to bend that big arc for justice. And so I situate my work in racial justice, racial equity. My lens is decolonization and anti-Black racism and anti-indigeneity. I believe that when you use those concepts, not EDI in particular, because they're outcomes to me, um, you real you there's room for all. And so people who don't look like me, who have different experiences, there's more room in the conversation for all, all of us to use our positional power wherever we stand to move forward for the kind of world that we all really deeply want. Because I think if you look at children, justice, that deep sense of justice is embedded in all of us. And so that's kind of what I'd like to leave with in terms of I think EDI is kind of I mean, it's a bigger conversation, the history of EBI. I think it does um, leave room for hopelessness in its practitioners. But I'd also like to say like racism morphs and it always, it evolves. And this is just another outworking of that. And once you understand that, um, you understand that what you have been doing is creating traction, it's bending that arc. And mm. so that to me is a, a, a self is a constantly renewed source hmm. of energy. And I'll leave it there because we're out of time. Um, Michelle, thank you so much. That was really, um, uh, really well put in so many smart uh, and thoughtful elements uh, in that in that last little clip you gave us. Thank you so much for that. Um, uh, before we wrap up, I'm actually just gonna uh, hand it over to Alex, um, uh, our, uh, our uh, marketing and communications manager because I think that there's some um, some supports that we may be also able to offer. So Alex, over to you. Great. Uh, thanks everyone again for your comments. Um, I'm here because we want to leave you with tools from our end as well. So to be able to have this conversation, but also to let you know uh, a little bit about what we at Anima can do to help you build some of those skills, some of that equity literacy that is so critical for moving through this moment and moving forward in our work, you know, in the EDI space. Um, can folks see my screen? Want to hear yes. Shaquille? Can you give me a thumbs up? Okay, yes. great. It's always tricky with multiple screens. Um, so as promised, you know, uh, our most comprehensive way to help you build that skill is through something called our inclusive leadership certificate. So we offer a variety of, of EDI training courses, but these four courses are the bundling of our four core courses. Um, and for a particular community of people so that we can help more people be engaged to do this work more meaningfully. Just for cafe participants today, we're actually offering a 25% discount 
on all four of those courses, the entire package of the inclusive leadership certificate. So the discount code is up on the screen right now. We'll also be sending you a follow-up email tomorrow with some highlights from today's cafe and all of this information. So don't worry about taking a screenshot at this time. Um, but this is just one of the ways that we're hoping to help equip more people to do this work, especially in times when it feels especially challenging. Um, also wanted to let you know about our next upcoming online course. Um, this particular course is angled at white leaders. So um, focusing on helping white leaders move past discomfort into racial literacy and facing some of those challenges that, I mean, I think we heard some of them throughout the conversation in this cafe today. There are specific difficulties for white leaders doing racial justice work. The Decoding Race for White Leaders course was designed with those challenges in mind and with a focus on equipping white leaders to be able to do this work more impactfully, more meaningfully, more effectively. Uh, and that course actually starts mid-October. Um, finally, I wanted to extend the invite to folks to our next Anima Cafe. So our next Anima Cafe is Wednesday, November 1st. Uh, and the focus of that cafe will be sharing some leadership secrets from our Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Leader Lab. So these were a new program we launched this year, again, to meet the needs of folks we were seeing in the space, leaders looking for cohorts of support and learning. Um, so Anakid will be back in that piece as well, as well as our senior educator, Emma Lind, talking about some leaning, uh, learnings from the 2023 editions of those leader labs. And like I said, you can register right now online at animaleadership.com slash cafe. We'll also include that link in the follow-up email. My very last note is uh, if you want to keep the conversation going in the online space, the digital space, uh, you can join our community on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I'm still begrudgingly calling it Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. You can also follow Anahid and Shaquille who are in those spaces as well. And we love hearing from folks, you know, anywhere to keep the conversation going and being able to still connect with community. Okay. Thanks everyone for coming today. Um, we'll stay on for a couple minutes if you have any questions, but just want to finish with, um, gratitude for all of you, um, the work you are doing and all the ways you're doing it. And uh, even though we don't know each other, we are part of um, the same um, drumbeat, um, marching things forward. And uh, thanks for joining us today. And look after yourselves. Thanks for coming. And as we like to do, we invite everyone to come off mute and say goodbye. Unless you're going to hang out for a couple of minutes and you've got any final questions, we'll wait for a, little, for a few minutes as well. Otherwise, unmute and say goodbye, everybody. Bye, Thank everyone. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Thank you. Good Michelle. to see everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. Our next episode will be available soon.